I appreciate y'all uh, coming back this morning. I appreciate y'all uh, just giving me your attention and everything. And so uh, I know you, it's a busy Saturday. All Saturdays are, it seems like. And so I will not take too much of your time. But it is great to be back with you and just be able to spend some time. And I already got to visit with many of the ones that I knew before. And, uh, but every time I come back, I feel so old. Because now it's not just that, you know, some of the friends that I run around with, they're starting to look old. I can handle that. But their kids are now old. It's like, what's up with this? You know, it's like they're grown adults and they got kids. And that's really freaking me out right now. So (laughs) So I'm going to have a point of depression after this particular lesson and just go back and smother myself in some eggnog ice cream from Brahms, I think is what I'm going to (laughs) do. But Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, we've talked about, you know, how it's important for us to be one flesh, that that is God's design is for a man and a woman to come together and become one flesh. We've talked about how to nourish that, and that is through submission, by putting each other's needs above our own, to humbling ourselves, because selfishness is what's going to drive us apart. And then we've talked about why God wants us to be one flesh, and so that we will accomplish more together than we ever could before, and so that we pull together. But how do we preserve this one flesh? And that's what I want to talk to you about in this last section. You know, we all know that we have to have, in order to have healthy bodies, There are some food groups that we should avoid, and then there are some food groups that we should kind of cling to. You know, if we are really wanting to stay healthy, you know, we want to avoid foods that are heavy in trans fats or refined sugar or or heavily processed. In other words, all those stuff that tastes really good, you got to avoid that type of stuff. But then we want to partake of foods, you know, that provide vitamins and minerals and proteins. And so therefore, to have a healthy body, We need to limit the intake of some things and then increase the intake of others. And the same could be said for our marriages. You know, if we want to have healthy marriages, if we want to operate as one flesh, then we must limit uh, some things from entering into our relationship. And then we must seek uh, other things. And so though these verses were addressed to the church, the principle certainly applies to marriage. It speaks of things that we should not allow in our relationship. You know, it says that bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice should all be put away from us. Well, why would those things be there in the first place? I mean, why would those particular things be there? Well, usually it's because of unforgiveness. That's why he goes into that in the next verse. You know, sometimes this bitterness becomes this seething anger that that simmers in our heart and begins to change it against the one that we should love. Other times it comes spewing out and violent fits and outbursts. Uh, Sometimes we make threats and keep the person on edge in a constant state of insecurity. Uh, Sometimes we rail on them day after day, just continuing to berate them about their failures. And other times we're just plain mean. We just, in spite, you know, we just lash out. We just want to be mean to them. We don't want them to have a day of peace. We don't want them to be settled in who they are and just to be comfortable there at the home. And so these are all things that will flat out just ruin a marriage. I mean, it will just ruin the relationship that you have together. These are things that will destroy that oneness that God desires for each of us to enjoy. 
And so instead, God tells us that we need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and most importantly, forgiving. You know, if we want our marriage to thrive and be healthy, then we have got to learn how to forgive each other. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Timothy Keller wrote, I don't know of anything more necessary in marriage than the ability to forgive fully, freely, unpunishingly from the heart. I remember Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, you know, any good marriage is between two good forgivers because you have to. You know, you have to learn how to do this and apply this to your life. The truth is, is that we live in a, uh, a society that just refuses to forgive. You know, we want to wear past hurts like badges of honor today. Uh, we see lots of people who not only refuse to forgive offenses done to them, but they refuse to forgive offenses that were done to others sometimes hundreds of years ago. I mean, our culture is literally overrun with stored up grudges, resentment, bitterness, and just flat out broken hearts. And we wonder why we're so divisive as a nation and as a people today. It, it is terrible to see this type of mindset in the world in which we live, but it's horrific when you witness this within spouses in the church. You know, of all the people, we who believe in Jesus Christ should know and understand the beauty of forgiveness. You know, it was God's act towards us that gives us the basis of the forgiveness that we should give to others. You know, this is why Paul writes in these verses, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So why should we forgive others? Well, because God has forgiven us. You know, no one understands the joy of forgiveness like a Christian. I mean, we know what it was like to be under condem the condemnation of sin. We, we know what it's like to live with its guilt and its shame. But we also know what it feels like to have that crushing weight just be lifted off of us. And I remember even as a seven-year-old boy, I don't remember a ton about my salvation, but I remember as a seven-year-old boy, after receiving Christ as my Savior, the one thing I remember feeling is, the weight of the burden of the guilt and the shame, just being gone, just being totally removed from me at that time. And I mean, let's face it, that's why we never tire of singing hymns like Amazing Grace, you know, nothing but the blood, uh, grace greater than our sin and Calvary covers it all. I mean, we've sung those songs hundreds of times and we still sometimes will get tears in our eyes just thinking about what God was willing to do for us, that forgiveness that he showed to us. And so therefore, that should be the basis of our forgiveness toward one another. You know, our spouse is going to offend us and sooner or later, they're going to offend us greatly. I mean, that's just the way life is. We are all fallible and sinful people. You know, it is what we do. That's why in Luke chapter 17 and verse one, Jesus said, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. He says, I want you to understand something. They're coming. It's going to take place. You know, we are living in a fantasy world. If we don't think our spouse is going to offend us or that we will not offend them. I almost cringe. Sometimes I hear spouses talking and usually it's kind of, you know, when they've just gotten married and they've only been married a short amount of time or maybe a few years or something like that. And they talk their spouse up so bad. Look, I'm glad that you admire your spouse, but sometimes it gets so high and I'm like, boy, when reality hits, it's really going to hurt that individual because they almost put them up there in the God status type of deal, you know, because they haven't hurt them yet. And I'm like, it's coming. It's coming. 
They're all going to do something. Every one of us are going to hurt one another. And like I said, many times we're going to hurt each other greatly. And so therefore, when those offenses come, they need to be handled appropriately and quickly. You know, in that same portion of Scripture, when Jesus said that it's impossible that offenses will come, he went on to say, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. You know, when our spouse offends us, the first thing that we need to do is rebuke them. You know, we should not talk about the offense to others, even our parents. We should not talk about it uh, 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 against them. We should talk about it with them. You know, many point to verses like this one and say, you know, see the offended party, it, it, that's the one that needs to go to the other to seek forgiveness. And then others will point to like the prodigal son and how he came back. He was the offender and he went back and asked forgiveness from his father. But the truth is, is both of those are shown in the scriptures. Sometimes we see it that the offend E, the one that was offended, is the one that should seek forgiveness. Sometimes we see it as the offender should be the one that seeks forgiveness. So what does that mean? Which one should it be? Both. You know, the truth is, is once we recognize there's a problem in the marriage, both of us have a responsibility to get that taken care of and be reconciled as quickly as possible. You know, that being said, for a relationship to be properly healed, the offender does need to repent. You know, there can be no forgiveness if the offending party won't admit it there was something needed for forgiveness. This just isn't true for those large offenses either. It's for the small ones. You know, sometimes we just know, need to show humility and actually ask for forgiveness from our spouse. Because if we don't, that tends to just build up over the period of time. You know, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so according to this verse, there can be no forgiveness until there first is confession. And the Greek word interpreted here as confess literally means to be in agreement with. And so you have to agree, yeah, what I did was wrong. I, I, I messed up. You know, I blew it in that area. And so phrases like, well, I'm sorry if I was wrong, or I'm sorry that you feel that way, are not statements of repentance. You know, they do not show that you agree that what you did was wrong. If I was wrong, no, you were wrong. Just to own it up, admit it. You know, I'm sorry you feel that way. I don't feel that way about what I did, but I'm sorry you feel that way. That's not agreeing. That's not a repentance. And so the simple two-word phrase, I'm sorry, goes a long way to restoring goodwill. You know, it lets the other person know that you admit what you have done, that you weren't thinking at that time or what, you're th what you were thinking was completely wrong in, in doing so. And so by claiming responsibility for our words and our actions, it helps us cleanse us first and foremost of our guilt. You know, when we refuse to apologize, but we wanna move past the problems, it, it's as if we don't acknowledge the hurt that we cause the other. It's like, well, I don't really care that you got hurt in this. I want to move on. I don't want this to continue to be a problem. Yeah, but you have to acknowledge the hurt that you brought into someone's life. You have to acknowledge that what you did was a transgression against them. And, and so it's as if we don't want to admit that, that we're wrong. And that is hard for most of us to do. We don't like to admit that, but we need to be humble enough to do so. And likewise, anytime we follow an apology with the word but, I want you to understand that apology has now been wiped out. You know, because now again, you're saying it really wasn't my fault. I see what I did, but I only did it because of what you did before that. And so that's not an apology at all. 
And so once repentance has been shown, though, forgiveness should immediately be given. You know, to forgive our spouse means that we cancel their debt. We will not hold the offense over their heads any longer. We will remove the barrier that broke us apart. It, it does not mean that there will not be consequences to their offense. You know, for instance, sometimes, you know, someone can offend us in a way where the trust has been broken. And trust takes a while to build back up. You know, sometimes harsh words have been said and, and they've, they've wounded us. And sometimes those wounds take a little while to heal. And so sometimes there's still going to be consequences. But that thing that has separated you should be resolved and taken, broken down. And so we see here the basis of our forgiveness is the forgiveness that Christ gave, or God gave to us through Christ. But then we also have the breadth of forgiveness. You know, at one point, Peter addressed Christ and he asked him, how often he ought to forgive a brother that had offended him. I always loved Peter because he just, he's always, he always said what we're usually thinking, you know. He always just blurted it out there. And so, you know, since seven was the number of perfection, Peter asked him, he said, how about seven times? Is that good? That's the number of perfection? Will that work out? And, and, and so what Peter was basically saying is, but Christ, doesn't forgiveness have a limit? You know, isn't there some limitation to forgiveness? Isn't enough enough at some point in time? And we often think in similar terms. Well, I'll forgive them this time, but if they do it again, what are we doing? We're limiting forgiveness. You know, Peter's thinking was flawed. And when we think this way, our thinking is flawed as well. You know, when we begin to think like this, we think more in the limited terms of the law and not the immeasurable terms of grace. You know, law keeps tabs. Grace doesn't. The law says three strikes and you're out. Grace says that with every act of forgiveness, the slate is back to being clean. You know, Jesus responded to Peter and he said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. You know, by 70 times seven, Jesus did not mean, well, after the 490th one, then you can just give them what for, you know? I'm pr thank goodness that that's not the case because my wife's probably got a few of them that I'm right there on the edge. But, you know, he, he was simply stating that we should forgive beyond count. You know, record keeping of sins and times of forgiveness, that has no place in the Christian life. You know, we are to forgive the hundredth offense or the thousandth just as readily and graciously as the first. Again, we, we, do, we are to do so because this is the way that we have been forgiven by God. You know, how many times have we gone to God for the same offense? I mean, you meant, how many times have you been at the altar over your lust? How many times have you been there over your pride? How many times have you been down there because you could not control that thing called the tongue? Many times we get this idea, well, if they really meant it, they would change. I understand the sentiment, but that's not always true. I got news for you. I've been down the altar so many times over my pride, I can't even count how many times. I'm way past 490 by now. I got that. You got your... That's for certain. And, and so the fact is, did I mean it? Well, yeah, I did. When I got down there on my knees and I asked God's forgiveness for my selfish pride and things like that, I've meant it. At least 480 of them. There might have been a few that I was just there. But most times I meant it. Well, then why haven't I got over it? If you meant it, you would have got over that by now. No, because the flesh is weak. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes it's because we haven't grown enough in our walk with Christ and we've learned to uh, accept and place his grace and make it applicable to our life. And so we're still struggling in some of these areas. 
But many times we mean what we say, but we find ourselves doing it again later. And so if we do that with God and he still forgives us every single time, should we not then do that with our spouse? You know, it doesn't mean they're not trying. It doesn't mean they're not trying to grow past that area of their life. But sometimes growth just takes time. You know, it is kind of interesting to see, you know, so many out here that were just, you know, knee high when I was here at Eastland Baptist Church back when I was on staff. But, you know, now are grown adults. But the reason why I see them that is, way well, is because 17 years has passed. You know, it actually has been 25 since I was actually on staff. So 25 years have passed since I've been on staff. I mean, a lot happens in 25 years. But if I watched them, if I was around them every single day, I wouldn't get to see that growth. I, I see it now because it's happened over a space of time. But many times, you know, we, when we're around people just incrementally, we don't notice it as much. It doesn't mean it's not there. It's just that we're not paying attention. We don't see it as readily. And it's the same way with our spouses. Just because they have to ask forgiveness for us again doesn't mean that they're not really trying to get better in this area. The fact that they're still asking for forgiveness shows that they are trying to fight against it. So what should we do? We should forgive them and try to be an encouragement to them to continue to grow in this area of grace. And so not only should we forgive and forgive repeatedly, we should also forgive with the right spirit. You know, the last part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 8 states this. It says, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Well, what does this verse have to do with forgiveness? Well, when we are forgiving someone, we are showing them mercy. Because of the hurt that they have caused us, they deserve to be hurt in return. But we are going to show them mercy and give them what they don't deserve. And so according to this verse, when we do such a thing, we should do it cheerfully. You know, to forgive is to affirm our love. But to forgive with cheerfulness is to show the sincerity of that love. You know, have you ever been forgiven, but not with cheerfulness? You know, you, you come to somebody and say, man, look, I, I just blew it yesterday. I, I am so sorry. Can you forgive me? And he said, yeah, I forgive you. But man, you can be a real jerk sometimes. You know, did they show me forgiveness? Yeah, they did, but it was like they had to get a kick in while they did it, you know? They had to just kind of let it release there for a second. It's like, well, I'm going to forgive you, but I really don't want to. You know, I'm doing it reluctantly. I know I'm supposed to, so therefore I'm going to. You've asked for it. I can't just let you hang out there to dry. I guess I'll go ahead and do it but they forgive you very reluctantly. It's almost like they had to be pulled into doing so. How much different is it when you go to someone and you ask for forgiveness, say, man, I just, I'm so sorry, I blew it yesterday, will you forgive me? And they say something like, hey, no problem, glad to put it behind us. Man, that is such a blessing. When somebody goes, hey, I'm glad that's over with, let's move on. You know, I'm glad that we've gotten that under control, let's go forward. And I think that's one of the great things about the story of the prodigal son. I mean, here comes the prodigal son. You know, you can only imagine he's got so much guilt and shame in his heart because of the way he had treated his father when he left and, you know, all of his shenanigans there. And so he's coming back. And his father didn't just forgive him. I mean, he ran to meet him. He wept on his neck. He killed the fatted gav and they had a party. I mean, that type of forgiveness screams, I hated that we were apart and I am so glad that we are reconciled now. 
What a joy that is when you recognize somebody loves you that much that they hate it when you're at odds and you want to be reconciled that badly. That's the type of forgiveness that we should show one another. But then we think about the benefits of forgiveness. You know, when we think of the benefits of forgiveness, we need to understand that it provides blessings to every single person involved. You know, first, it is a great blessing, obviously, to the spouse who was the offender. And as we said earlier, it allows them to get out from under the condemnation of their guilt and their shame. The gravity of that cannot be underestimated. And it is a heavy burden to carry around those things in our lives. That's why a lot of people become incredibly angry as a spouse, because they're not forgiven. They hate what they've done, and yet their pride maybe hasn't allowed them to ask forgiveness, or maybe they did ask forgiveness as it wasn't received, and it just creates this tumultuous anger in their life because they have this great condemnation upon them, and they can't get it off. And it can cause people to lose sleep, which it makes most of us more angry. It zaps us of our energy, and it just sucks the joy out of life. And so it's very beneficial to the offender. But not only does forgiveness help the offender, it helps the one who was hurt by the offense. And it helps heal the pain from the offense. It keeps the one who was hurt from always becoming embittered. You know, because just as the burden of guilt and shame can suck the joy out of life, so does bitterness. I mean, when you will not forgive the other, that means that you're, you only have one choice or the other. You can either forgive or you can become bitter, but there's no in-between. There's nothing else you can do. And I'm telling you, bitterness just sucks the joy out of life. It, 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 you look at the world today and the most hateful people are those that are just embittered that are just hateful toward others because they feel like maybe they were rightly offended. You know, they were offended and, and they have a right, you know, for that. but because they won't forgive, it just eats them up inside. But then forgiveness obviously also helps the couple as a whole. You know, when we forgive one another, we keep Satan from gaining a foothold into our homes. We began this message kind of looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31 and 32, but just before that in verse 27, Paul said, neither give place to the devil. You know, when forgiveness does not take place, man, it's like we have just invited the devil into our home and set a place for him at the table. You know, and when you invite the devil in your home, I got news for you, you got problems. You got issues there because he's not there to make your, your marriage better. He's there to cause it to be destroyed. And this is why Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15 states, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know, unforgiveness in the marriage relationship can often have devastating effects, not upon just the marriage, but upon other relationships as well. Your relationship with your children, your relationship with your parents, your relationships many times with your friends. And, and so forgiveness, uh, you know, that, that bitterness doesn't just stay pocketed in one particular compartment. It oozes out into all areas of life. But then forgiveness also helps us with our relationship with God. You know, first it helps us understand the cost that He bore to forgive us. You know, we have a greater understanding of His love and it makes us much more appreciative of Him. You know, it frees us to sing those praises, you know, with greater clarity and with greater fervor and with greater love. Because once we forgive others and recognize the grace that is shown and the cost that, is, that we must accept in order to offer that forgiveness, boy, we totally understand why we should praise His name for what He's done in our life. 
But then second, it allows us to continue to receive his mercies when they are needed. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 26, Jesus said, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. You know, when we refuse to forgive, we end up burning a bridge that one day we will need to cross. You know, when, when we forgive, we keep that bridge intact, not only for others, but for ourselves as well. Because we all know there's going to become a time probably sooner than later when we're the ones that need to be at an altar asking for forgiveness for what we have done to the Lord or maybe to others. And God says, if you want that forgiveness from me, then you better be extending it to someone else. And so then finally, forgiveness exalts God. It shows that His grace is working in our lives. It shows that even when sin does abound, that grace does much more abound. And this is why long-lasting, loving marriages are such a wonderful testimony to Him. Sometimes I think the greatest testimony that Christians can have today is just a good marriage because there's so few and far between out here in the world today. I mean, most marriages are barely hanging on with the thread. And so when they see people thriving and successful in their marriage and prospering, and they see couples that really, really enjoy doing things together, it, it, it startles them. I mean, I'll never forget when I was a, a, even just working in, a, in a, just a normal job type of situation. Heather and I had been married. I think it was when we were starting the church there in Coweta. And uh, one of the guys asked me, he said, so what are you going to do in your day off? And I said, yeah, me and my wife, I think we're going to go fishing tomorrow. And he says, you're going to do what? I said, we're going to go fishing tomorrow, me and my wife. And he literally, he was dead serious. And there's another guy there. He says, why would you spend your day off with your wife? And I just let, I thought, are you messing with me right now? And another guy goes, oh, man, me, there's no way. Man, when I'm my, my day off, we're going to go do this. And they would live two totally separate lives. It was like this. They could not put that into their perspective because they were like, no, that's somebody that I need and things like that. But to spend time with them, to have a really close relationship with them, that's, I don't understand that. But that's why our lives can have such a testimony. I'm telling you, when, when you've been married 20, 30, 40, or 50 years, and your love for your spouse is greater than it was when you first said, I do, I got news for you, that resonates in this world today. Because anyone with half a brain understands something exceptional is taking place there. There's something unique that is going on. And they often want to know, how? How is it that you have this relationship? But we can then tell them that the how is inconsequential compared to the who. That it's because of the grace that our God gives us is the reason why we can have this relationship today. And it's sad, but sometimes we hear Christians say, you know, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I just can't. I mean, they hurt me too bad. I can't let it go. The truth is, is that it's not that they can't forgive. It's that they won't. Now, the grace that we have received from God always gives us the ability to forgive. Again, I'm not saying that there's not consequences, but I'm saying that we can always forgive. And when we read the Bible, we see that this grace allowed Joseph to forgive his brothers when they sold him into slavery. And it allowed David to forgive Saul even though he sought his life. And it allowed Hosea to forgive his wife, Gomer, even though she played the harlot with many men. It allowed Stephen to forgive his murderers, even as he was about to take his last breath. 
I don't care what your spouse has done or will do to you. As a believer, you have the grace to forgive them, and therefore, you should forgive them. And this is why forgiveness in the Scriptures is not a suggestion. It is a command. Brother? Everyone in this room has been hurt by someone, haven't you? Well, and hurt. And everyone in this room has hurt someone as well. We're the agency of hurt in other people's lives. That's why apology and forgiveness are like the hand and glove requirements for reconciliation. Brother Brent started with a thought basically saying this, is that selfishness is the, in, is the enemy of intimacy. And so both offense and unforgiveness violates intimacy. So then to restore reconciliation and closeness is going to require that we apologize and that we forgive. But here's the thing, you know, when... I've learned this with Terry and the kids. When I offend or you offend, any of us offend, when you have the grace and the humility, which is required as a Christian, to look at someone and say, hey, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I learned a long time ago, that's not really not a question. That's a statement. And the statement is this, is that I love you. And I want the interest to be restored. I don't want anything to be between us. And when you, when you say, I will forgive you, you're basically saying, well, I love you too. And I want it restored as well. That's what a marriage is about. We're imperfect people. We're going to mess up. It's just the way life is. We have to grow. We've got to get better. That's required. But to get there is going to take a whole lot of grace, a lot of apology, a lot of forgiveness. That's just how you get where you want to go. And so, Brent, that was super helpful. I really, some great thoughts this weekend. I appreciate you being here. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that change your marriage. So go home and practice this stuff. All of it. Put it, put it to use. I, I was just thinking about... Some simple ways to do this is go get a book. We're talking about doing things together. Go find a book and read it together. That will engender talking, time together, and all the things you're communicating in, in a positive way. And uh, so let's just make sure we don't just, we've had a great time. Uh, that has its own benefit, but let's make sure we put this some of this stuff into practice, okay? Really appreciate you being here. This is a phenomenal turnout, both Friday and Saturday. Um, I think for all the spouses here, it's a statement by your partner's part to say that you're a priority. And uh, so Lord bless you for telling them that. That's, that's wonderful. And agreeing to come.